Hey everybody, I would like to welcome you to another episode of Pop Culture Gems. This is a series where we talk to amazing creators, artists, cosplayers, voice actors, and so much more. If you like the interviews we do with our terrific guests, like, follow, or and subscribe to our YouTube channel, the CFG channel, or go to our main website, confreaksandgeeks.com to not miss an episode. Today, I am speaking to an incredible voice actor who is in uh, who's in over 80 English dubs in anime. They are known in great series like Stigma in Shy. That creepy boy always still gets me. I will say that. <laughs> uh, Saguri Yamada in Hell's Paradise. And uh, everyone will definitely remember uh, Kyoko Hori in Horimiya. I would like to welcome uh, Marissa Duran to the show. How are you doing today? Man, I'm good. Although if the number of times I've yawned is representative of how sleepy I am, I apologize because it's raining outside and it makes me want to curl up in bed. <laughs> this is a perfect, this is a perfect crawl in the bed, read a book kind of like, you know, kind of weather. So I will not put that against you. I definitely understand. Excellent. I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> Shoot, we might make it, we can make it, make it a drinking game if we wanted to in the, <laughs> on the YouTube page. It'd be very fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> all right well let's get this party started uh well uh you come from a heavy theater background um what initially got you interested in voice acting i i always love telling the story because i feel like i kind of fell into voice acting by accident um so many people especially nowadays grow up watching anime and it's something that they strive to do from the time they're young but for me i had this dream of like being on broadway um, so I got my BFA in acting at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. And while I was a student there, I got involved with student films and more on-camera work. So I kind of transitioned away from theater to doing a lot more on-camera work. And then actually the year before COVID hit, it was when I, I really started to kind of like dive deep into voiceover. Um, so I started taking more classes and that kind of thing. But I guess technically I got my start back in november of 2015 um i think like probably six months prior to that there was this weekly email um e-blast that would go out from a local theater group and they would put out all kinds of like theater auditions each week but sometimes there were other auditions in there too so <laughs> one day i get an email and it's um they included a funimation open casting call I had never mm. done voice acting before, really didn't know anything about it, but I was the weird theater kid that really enjoyed auditioning. So I sent an email and signed up for like a time slot and got an email back and I was like, cool. So then went in and recorded um, three characters. So when you walked in to the front desk, they had a, uh, a binder with like male characters and then a binder with female characters. And you just picked what you thought you could best perform and uh choose three characters out of the binder do you remember the characters that you chose i okay so i know one of them was black star from soul eater but i do not remember the other two um but i just remember being excited because i was like this was Brittany korbowski this is so cool um so yeah i went in and performed those and in the theater world if you don't hear anything back within like two weeks you didn't book it but i didn't hear anything back from funimation for six months and by the time I heard back, completely forgot that I'd even like auditioned for them. So yeah, November rolls around and they're like, hey, can you come in and record Walla on Showman Sample? And I was like, I don't know what Walla is, but put me in. 
So I showed up and uh, I learned a lot. I was in a group with three other female identifying voice actors and they were all vets. So they like really knew what they were doing. So it was helpful for me as someone who had never been a voice actor before to walk in and be like, oh, okay. So we wait until the beeps are done and then we start recording. Oh, and Walla just needs background voices. Oh, and these are the kinds of things we can say. Okay. And it was just really uh, eye-opening and helpful. And I sure wish I could tell you like who those three people were that were in my Walla group, but I sure don't. Um, <laughs> I don't hold yeah, it against you. It's been eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's been eight years. That's wild. But yeah, that's that's the roundabout way of how I got into voice acting. That's actually, you know, that's one of the most originals, I would have to say, because I know I've <laughs> talked to so many people that, that, that do have theater backgrounds and then they kind of lean themselves, they, they are aware of it. But then you seem like you just had were open to opportunity and and uh, you just That's, yeah. shoot your shot, which is amazing. That's definitely great, especially in 2015. I mean, Funimation was already a beast in itself. They were established for, for anime runs. That's that's awesome. But six yeah. months. Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. And then I, I would just get called in sporadically after that. So it was like another six months, five months. I never so, knew when it was coming. I would just get an email. So there was no method to madness. All the way they contacted you was specifically just email and just said, "Hey, would you like to come in for this?" And then, the, and then you're like, "Okay, sure," or yes or no. Yep, basically. And as long as I remember one time they called me in for a nighttime session, but I had theater rehearsal that night, so I had to be like, "I'm so sorry, I can't come in. Please don't hate me." <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, that is, man, voice acting is a game in itself. I had no idea. That, I mean, like. The, the 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 system seems very random to me of how all that works. That's pretty cool. It kind of is. I'm I'm sure somewhere behind the scenes there's a method to the madness, but I don't see it. I have no idea. <laughs> no. I just show up when they tell me to. Hey, if you like it, I mean, if it, if it works, it works, I guess. <laughs> and uh, do you uh, uh, you say like you like to perform? Um, do you have any like personal favorite plays or musicals that that, that uh, personally inspired you? Oh my gosh, I remember. Um, I read William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet for the first time when I was in eighth grade for my English class. And I remember sitting there with my best friend Mallory at the time and we would have, she would, Miss DeWitt was the name of my eighth grade English teacher. And she would essentially call on people in class to have us like read a scene aloud, which like as an eighth grader would terrify most people. But as the theater kid, I was like, yeah. Um, so I just remember reading scenes aloud and just being completely enamored by the language. So Romeo and Juliet has been a favorite of mine since I read it in eighth grade. Um, I love Shakespeare's words and his use of the English language and the fact that he even made up words. Um, I think King Lear and The Tempest are two of my favorites as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Shakespeare. But then as far as musicals go, I, I, I always love Wicked. Wicked is like up there i saw the national tour when it came through i think i was in sixth grade and it like fundamentally changed my life and that was when i was like i want to do musical theater and be on broadway um so i love wicked and then there is a musical that technically premiered here in dallas and then was taken off broadway and it's called fly by night oh i know and that it one is, yeah it's based on true events that happened in the 1960s in new york when there was a blackout mm -hmm. um and it's, it's just a beautiful story. The music is great. Um, the songs get stuck in your head and it's actually a very tender, uh, beautiful story. So, yeah. <laughs> so do you, uh, so I didn't really think about it, but like, yeah, so you're, so do, would you lead more into regular normal, like plays more than musicals or? 
Usually, yeah. It's so funny. Growing up, like I did a number of musicals, but I always did straight plays too. And I had a fear of singing in front of people, especially by myself. Like if I was in a group, no problem. But it, when it was just me and it came time to sing a solo, I was like terrified. So I kept thinking I would grow out of that and grow out of that. And I was like, I'm going to major in musical theater. And by the time I got to my sophomore year of high school, still had not grown out of that. And I actually did this like three-week musical theater camp through Dallas Summer Musicals here locally. And I was surrounded by these people who really knew what they were doing. And I was like, oh. I don't think musical theater is the career path for me, actually. I'll just stick to what I'm really good at, and that's the acting part. So that's how I ended up getting a BFA in acting. Um, but yeah, I love musicals, and I really wish that I wasn't so darn scared of singing in front of people, because I'm like, it's the same thing as like speaking. Like, what, what is the difference? But for some reason, my brain doesn't comprehend that. So. so you're you're perfectly fine with acting in front of a person with like a live audience, but you're not fine with singing uh, singing itself directly uh, in front of a live audience. Pretty hmm. much, yep. There are times when I'm able to like work around it, and and like it's not as big of a problem. Especially if I'm like in my booth, like recording something. I'm like, yeah, we can sing. That's cool. But for some reason, being there in person in front of people is like very different. I, I I can't I'm like I can't even relate to that. That would that would, I mean just in general, just acting or singing in front of people would just scare the hell out of me. So I I I I uh, there, there's definitely a method to madness in itself. So so yes, well, thank you. Yes, <laughs> so but I, I mean that that's cool. Yeah, I I'm uh man I I think I, I kind of blame my mom for this, but I love going to, to musicals all the time. But like uh like uh. Uh, one of my favorites was uh, how to succeed in business without even trying. And yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And stuff. What a classic. Uh, yeah. I, but I've never seen wicked. I've want to, but I've never seen it. <laughs> it's going to happen. One of these years. One of these days. Happen. Yeah. That in the, my well, sister- when the movie comes out, you have no excuse. Yeah. But it's not the same. Cause like I've watched. It's not like, the same. Yeah, I watched In the Heights the movie, and I was just like, because I was just like, this is terrible comparatively to the to the regular musical, you know. So like, uh, it was different. It was. Yeah, yeah. The only music, the only musical movie that I say was a good one to one to me was uh was Anne Hathaway's Les Misérables, because that. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, but like, I am very critical when it comes to like, oh, this is a musical, and I've probably seen it, and I'm like, nah, this isn't this isn't it for me. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Yeah, and um, uh, and I know some folks do not like uh do not like this, but uh, uh do not like doing this, or most uh, like a lot of different uh, actors and voice actors don't like doing this. But do you yourself? Do you ever watch the series that you're in or that you've done uh, before? Ooh, good question. It for me has depended on the show. So for Horimiya, I read through a good chunk of the manga before we started. Uh, before the first season of the show ended. Um, but I didn't read it all until Missing Pieces started because I was way behind on things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I did watch the new episode each week when it came out in sub before we would record it. Um, usually for me, that's what I prefer to do is to watch the episode ahead of time, even if I'm like some random bit part or just in a crowd. If I get called in for something, I want to know what the storyline is, what's happening in that episode, what's the context um, before I go in. The directors at Crunchyroll are really good about preparing us, even when we do come in, to be like, hey, here's what happened the moment prior. Here are some examples of things you can say. But I like to, I don't know, I like to come in and be prepared already. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I do that for most shows. Hell's Paradise was different because Sagari does not know the truth about Gabi Maru's wife. So I, as the actor, have made the choice that I don't want to know either. So I have finished through volume six of the manga. So I'm slightly ahead of where the first season of the anime left off, but I don't want to keep reading because I don't know when that truth comes out. So I am waiting to read until <laughs> we get more of the show. <laughs> oh, do, yeah. yeah. But you're not really sure. Do you, so do you normally like, uh, it seems like you'd normally kind of do your homework before you get, before you go into the role itself uh, overall though. But uh, especially, I mean, well, Hell's Paradise and Horamiya are pretty big but like uh but like uh for something like hell's paradise which we, i don't think we know if there's a season if uh is, is it still in limbo right now if season two is, is coming or not it's kind of in limbo i know on actually on sunday so two days from now when we're recording this um jump fiesta is happening which is when they do a lot of shonen show updates and mm -hmm. hell's paradise is one of the things that's supposed to be given an update so i'm assuming we'll get a season two announcement will they tell us when the season two is coming i don't know they might just be like hey season two is in the works and that could be it but yeah. we'll see i i expect there to be updates hey but if we know that this season two is coming then we know that, that i mean we could assume pretty well that that, that that we're going to get a season two here uh hopefully though too that and i believe that's uh, what i would hope yeah that and i also hope that hell's paradise hell's paradise is done in the manga i believe right like it's complete it's it's yes. completely finished right oh wow yeah so you bet you have a lot of like willpower to just stop <laughs> just to just I to know. See. oh my god because i know um alejandro who plays gavimaru binged the whole thing and like read it in one day and one i was day. like normally i would try i would try to do that but like i don't know i like the surprise <laughs> i like the that surprise man so you oh so you like the suspense and you like this the the uh yeah uh, to to get on your toes on the <laughs> on what happened uh, for the main character but one day yeah. good night <laughs> i know that's yeah. dedication you know um it's actually kind of funny um there's a series that's just now on Crunchyroll that i'm watching that i thought i wouldn't like uh was uh called kingdom of ruin and yeah. oh my god <laughs> like 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 i decided you know what i i can't stop i can't watch this anymore let me just go read because i'm i like to read mangas more than i like to uh, watch animes personally sometimes most of the times okay. And uh, I like to just say, okay, oh, uh, sometimes I just don't have the time to wait a year or two for the whole thing. So I decided to just, let's, let's see how it goes. And I've read it and I was like, this is like the saddest thing I have ever, one of the saddest things I have ever seen. And it's crazy, but I just can't stop reading it. <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching the show when it comes out each week because Caitlin Glass, who directed us on Horimiya, is directing the English dub of that show. And it is so dark and i'm like who am i supposed to be rooting for here because i kind of hate all of you yes um you think it's gonna go one way and then you're like oh wait no those guys are bad okay never mind so i actually hate the main guy and i also hate this group of people who's the <laughs> good guy like it's just it's a weird it's oh man yeah it's so dark but it's so good and it's suspenseful it is insane. Like you're right, because like I, I still hate the main, the protagonist, and I'm not a big fan of that protagonist still to this day. Because uh, I, I thought like I, I, I thought I keyed it in when I was like saying, oh, so he found a way to maybe have a humanity side because this person is going to teach him. And, but then all this bad stuff is like you saw last week's episode, and I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna, it's like yeah. oh. 
<laughs> we went that route. Okay. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, okay, then. So what are you going to do then? So yeah, but anyway, yeah. So, but uh, God, I don't even know where I was going with that. But anyways, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But, uh, and um, also like uh, because of the pandemic itself, um, I'm sure you had to learn like more, more on the audio engineering side of things uh, for your at-home audio rig. Like how was your, per- like, uh, no, don't usually ask this for anybody, but like how, was your experience transitioning from like a traditional studio, uh, a studio setup to like an in-home recording uh, setup uh, when that happened? Cause that's like what it, it is was, now. Yeah, it was really wild. I, my at-home setup at first, I had my like mid 2012 MacBook pro set up in my closet and then it's some sound dampening, but it really wasn't great. And I didn't realize how bad it was at the time. So I had that set up mainly just for auditions because at the time I really wasn't recording at home. But then COVID hit and we had three episodes of Hodinia that we needed to catch up on. And there was an ice storm that hit here in Texas. So I was stuck at home, couldn't drive into the studio to go record. So they were like, hey, we're going to record these at home. So I did what I could to like make it okay in there. Um, But the fan on that MacBook was really loud and we didn't know that at the time so the three episodes we recorded broadcast and they went to air and then i got an email one day and they were like hey um so the mixers did what they could with your audio but it was really not clean so we actually need to re-record all three of those episodes um so yeah so then i had to go into the studio and we spent seven hours one day re-recording those and i got paid again which was great but it brought to light the issues that my home setup had and if I was going to, you know, really take this job seriously, I needed to do some upgrades. So I spent a lot of time with like foam panels and putting them all because I use my closet. Mm-hmm. So I put foam panels on like every blank surface possible. I uh, hung up a moving blanket on a curtain rod uh, in front of my door so that mm-hmm. it blocks it, that I can move it to come in and out. Um, yeah, just doing all kinds of things. And then I also finally invested in something that's not a MacBook Pro with a loud fan. So now I have um, a Mac mini, and then I have an out of booth monitor, which is what I'm on right now. And then I have an in booth monitor. Um, I've got my Neumann TLM microphone, which was another upgrade, because originally I was just on a Rode NT1A, which served me very, very well. Great mic. Um, got my SSL2 audio interface. And I just this year actually upgraded to using Reaper for my DAW. Oh yeah. I was okay. using Audacity previously and didn't really realize like how not Bare great bones. it was for me. Yeah, until someone taught me how to use Reaper and I was like, "Oh, this is actually this sounds so much better and I'm I hate that I was turning in audio from Audacity." So, improvements have been made over the last 8 years, a lot of improvements. Um, but yeah, it's been a journey cuz I I still am not I'm not an audio engineer. Um I have to ride my gain if I'm recording from home Um, and I'm still learning things about Reaper and editing audio. So I definitely feel more secure in my own abilities now than I did like even six months ago, but every day is a new adventure. I can tell you that. Well, like, do you like, I mean, like a DAW, like uh, the way I always looked at it, like DAWs, like Reaper and audio uh, or uh, Adobe, uh, um, whatever Adobe audition and stuff. It's uh, like, I treat it like Excel because you always will learn something new every time, regardless of how old you've been doing it and stuff, especially since you're not an audio engineer yourself, though. But 
But, yeah. but but it does make you aware of one thing. It, it's like it kind of slowly shifts you into becoming an audiophile, though, because it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, this is sharp or this doesn't sound right. Like, uh, immediately. yeah, I'd be curious to like sit on the other side of the casting table and just listen to all the auditions that come in just to be able to hear like, oh, this was a good audio sample. This is not a good audio sample just because of room noise or, oh, there's a lot of plosives on that one or. <laughs> you know, just little things like that. I think that would help a lot. <laughs> just, Man. it would help train my ear for what to listen for. Yeah, that's very, very true. And like, uh, do, um, I guess now since you know this kind of stuff, do you, are you still kind of more, uh, kind of hands-on still before sending the, uh, sending your own like audio files directly to the audio engineer, or do you still just kind of let it, like, let them do, to do their magic because they're the, they're the masters of the trade <laughs> trade for it. Right. It, that's a good question. It definitely depends on what the client wants. Most, I feel like most places now are like, hey, send us a raw wave file. Um, I usually will include room tone at the end for bare editing purposes, but I'll just send it to them raw, which makes my life easier because that's mm -hmm. one less thing I have to worry about. Um, and I feel like most of the time too, studios, if they want you to um, split your files or do any kind of editing, they'll usually pay you a little more because then you are your own audio engineer to an extent. Mm -hmm. So yeah, usually I just send it in raw if it's like something for an actual project, but if it's an audition, I do try to clean it up a little bit just so it's not messy. Um, yeah. Wait a minute though. Like uh, I didn't even think about that. So you're telling, because like, uh, for some reason I just assumed clientele would be like, you know, crunchy roll or Funimation and something like that. But, but they sometimes ask you to, to, to adjust or, to add could ask you to adjust or edit your own files before this before you send it to them possibly usually not <clears throat> usually if it's like i'm even trying to think like for some really small stuff mm -hmm. like commercials um, or something there is that yeah actually for commercials um i've had to edit my own and then send it um to the producer whoever you want to call it so that they could send it to the radio people mm -hmm. um so i have had to do that but i feel like for most like animation and video games their audio engineers are going to take care of everything which is great because they wanted all the sound cohesive right so if they can work on everyone's audio file then it should all sound the same oh, okay okay well, that's cool that's cool and um kind of get back to uh, hell's paradise a little bit but uh which by the way you were fantastic in it i love uh, you were great in it um and uh but your character uh siguri yamada is uh uh she's a character that seems like multi uh, multi-layered of different kinds of like like you're showing a lot of growth initially with her uh uh, uh her initially and then to where she's becoming because i i guess like she kind of went a long way to the end of the first season and she's nowhere near what she was at the beginning of the series where you thought she was just a cold-hearted killer kind of <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. So I was just kind of wondering, like, what is your ex, uh, what's your, your expectations or like how, like when you, when you came across a character like this, like what was your first initial thoughts about this, especially how she's evolving in hell's, uh, hell's paradise. And especially how you stopped the stop, you yourself consciously stopped, <laughs> uh, uh, in the middle yeah. of it. Like, like, what, what do you think of her as a character, uh, as the, uh, as a character? She is like the epitome of everything I've always hoped to voice. 
Um, I've had like a shonen protag on my bucket list, but I always imagined it would be this like spunky young boy protagonist. And so now I am voicing this like rather stoic, logical, down to business samurai woman who is actually non-binary coded, which is incredibly cool because as a non-binary actor to get to voice a non-binary coded character, that's a huge, just like a life-changing moment. Um, so it's really cool to have that proper representation in anime. Um, but she, her journey is so interesting because she does start out so logical and down to business, kind of emotionless. And Mike McFarlane, our director, and I had to work really hard to find her tone and kind of where she would sit in my own voice. Mm. Because I'm used to playing characters that are kind of loud and rambunctious and kind of run the emotional gamut. But Sagiri is not that. Um, and I remember reading some line, like we were working on the first episode and uh, Mike was like, I need that line flattened. And I was like, okay. So we did it again. And I was like, okay, I think I nailed it. And then he was like, yeah, we're going to need it flatter than that. And I was like, Mike, I don't, I don't want her to sound boring. Um, and so that was my own like inner battle that I had to fight as we recorded was like finding the balance between boring and stoic because there is a fine line and she's not boring. She just is very matter of fact. So finding that straightforward tone was a fun challenge for me. Um, but it is interesting because she starts that way. And then as the show progresses, you see her warm up a little bit more to Gabi Maru and the people that she's journeying with. And then by the end, it's like, she's like on the verge of tears thinking about Gabi Maru, where he is, what he's up to, will he ever see his wife again? And just like these moments of realization where she's like, I'm not emotionless like I thought I was. Um, so it's been really satisfying to like go on this emotional journey with her. That is cool. See, I didn't even think of it that way uh, uh, personally, because in my like in my own in my view, I mean, no, you're you're totally right on that. Because uh, now the way you're describing it is makes it's a lot better than what I was thinking. Because uh, initially, when you when you first meet her, she's very cold. Like she's she is incredibly matter of fact, straightforward. She's she's in the rules. But then once she gets like, but you know, like later on when they realize when she finds out what her own personal like, she admits to her own weakness of like as a strength and stuff like that it just seemed like she kind of started wavering a lot uh uh to a uh, to a point where i was like okay i don't know where this is going to go with her itself or if she's going to become like like uh uh like more powerful or just accepting uh, accepting where she was at uh but like and uh and then at the end when she's like you're saying when she was really empathetic towards uh Kabimaru, I'm I'm like this girl's uh, she like uh she's very much a roller coaster. I don't know like what to like how how is she cuz like at first when they're when they, when she's doing her fight when she's fighting against these monsters and stuff she seems like she was kind of being a third wheel a little bit <laughs> and then and then it's not like getting any better. So I mean I honestly don't I can't I just can't figure out where she's going to go but it's but I think that's what makes the journey for her really interesting to me i'm just like wow okay i know she's a big she's a she's a good protagonist but man i, don't, I it's like usually kind of coin where this person where their where their emotions are and i just can't i can't i can't pinpoint it <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible yeah <laughs> she she starts out so um in the rules and like this is how i was raised this is how it's always been this is how it always will be and then they get to the island and it's like well the rules are broken and everything's made up and the points don't matter and it kind of like 
is a huge mental shift for her because everything's thrown into chaos and she thrives on order. Um, so you kind of, you see that mental shift in her and suddenly she's like, okay, the rules are made to be broken. Things are going to go differently now. And I am changing as a person. Sure. Let's throw it all together on this crazy island. It's just crazy. <laughs> So yeah, it's like she'll, she'll, she just wasn't mentally prepared itself on this whole like, this whole voyage and stuff. But she was still like loyal to the emperor or the uh, or the uh, the the king and stuff, or uh, to uh, uh, to do what she was to, what she was tasked to do, which is yeah. wow, which is incredible. Well, I mean, that's very that's very interesting. I definitely love uh, like your take on it. Um, and um, and that like you're saying before, you and Al- uh, Alessandro Saab uh, plays uh, play one in the one and two in both Hormia and Hell's Paradise. Like how like how would you describe uh, your your dynamic with Saab playing uh, playing off one another? It's so fun, and it's really funny to like think back to well, now it's almost three years ago since Hormia was announced, which is crazy. But back when it was announced, um, that was my first ever named role of any kind. Um, all I'd done previously were tiny bit roles with like one line and background voices. And I remember when it was announced, I looked up Alejandro on Twitter and at the time he had like 80,000 Twitter followers. And I was like blown away by the fact that I was going to be in the show with all of these veteran voice actors who had thousands of Twitter followers. And I was just a nobody. And frankly, I was intimidated and overwhelmed by it because I was like, who am I to be cast in the show? Like why, why, why would they do that? Um, but it happened for a reason because I learned so much from all of them. And Caitlin knew exactly what she was doing because she surrounded me, the newbie with all of these incredible talented actors who brought so much life to it. And I was able to pick up things from their performances and learn so much so that by the time missing pieces rolled around earlier this year, I felt more confident making ridiculous zany choices because I understood the character. I had these standing relationships with the other people in the show. Um, so that was great. And mm-hmm. now it's like Alejandro and I are guesting at conventions together. So we get to like hang out and have dinner and talk about life and about games and about anime. And it's like, no, this is just like a real genuine guy. And now he's like over 200,000 Twitter followers, which is even crazier. But despite it all, he hasn't gotten a big head, right? He doesn't have an ego. He's just like a regular guy. So it makes it really easy to play off of him because I trust him as a fellow human being, which means that then when I get in the booth to record, I can trust his performance because I know he's going to lay something down that I'm like, yes, that made perfect sense. That sounds just like what the character would do. And now I can play off of that and react accordingly. So it's, it's a blast. We keep calling uh, Hell's Paradise bloody hoity mia because it was, it was like the reunion, but in a completely different dynamic. <laughs> um, it's like so, yeah, it's been great. Decided, yeah, it's like if Hormia decided to ha- do opposite day and decided to say, "Hey, uh, okay, here you go." <laughs> on the div- on yep. the double slice line. and dicing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And uh, actually, I come to think of it, I was just I was meaning to ask this because I was wondering because I knew that Hormia was the very first role that the very first major role that you've uh, that you played. But like, like, how was your like when you got the role? Uh, the main role for the uh, protagonist uh, uh, of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, Kyoko Hori. Uh, like, like, what was your, like, how was that? Like, what, what was, like, what was that feeling? And, and, uh, and also, sorry. Uh, also, how long was it between y- y- when you were doing your voice acting role to when you got that, uh, till you got that, uh, that part? Ooh, okay. So the whole, <laughs> the whole audition story is funny to me. So I was cat sitting for a friend 
the weekend that the auditions were sent out. So I think they were sent out on like a Thursday or a Friday night and they were going to be due the following Monday morning at like 10 a.m. So I was cat sitting for a friend and literally staying at their apartment. So I didn't have my equipment with me. So Sunday night at about 9 p.m., um, I decided to go home and throw down some auditions. So I auditioned for um, Sakura Kono, who is our little green-haired friend, and Hori, and submitted them, didn't think anything of it. They were due the next morning. Uh, when was it? I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday of that week rolls around, and I was working at Starbucks at the time as a barista. So I was at work, and it was like midday. It had kind of slowed down. So I pulled out my phone and was checking my email and had an email from Funimation at the time, and they were like, hey, um, director Caitlin Glass is interested in casting you in the role of Kyoko Hori and Hori Mia. Would you like to accept? I literally didn't even remember like who that was. So I had to look it up real quick. And I was like, this is not the character that I thought I would book. This is the lead. And I, what? <laughs> so send an email back and I'm like, hi, yes, of course. Um, I would love to accept. This is awesome. And they're like, can you come in to record tomorrow? And then I had to ask my manager, like, hey, I know I'm scheduled tomorrow, but like, I got a really big role and I need to go record a country role. Is that okay? Um, and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. That's so cool. Um, and that's how that started. But I, wow. I never in a million years thought that Hori would be the one that I booked. I thought it would be Sakura since I had never booked a named role of any kind before. I was like, it's a good stepping stone. It's a good way forward. And instead they were like, boom, the dynamite. You're going to be the lead. And I was like, <laughs> that's crazy. So that's how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That is amazing. <laughs> that, that is incredibly amazing. What? So like they, they came back to you quite immediately after, after the, uh, the audition uh, itself. Yeah, one was a quick turnaround. Sometimes they are, and sometimes they're really not. So it's like, you never know. You never know what oh. you're going to get. And on top of that, you said you didn't even have your equipment with you. So you must've been on some sort of a game like your, uh, for, for your, for your demo, your demo uh, that you did for it. So that's incredible. Yeah. I came home and recorded it on my little, my little MacBook pro in my closet <laughs> and called it a day. <laughs> Man, that MacBook, that MacBook pro, if it could tell stories, I swear. <laughs> oh, oh it would happen. <laughs> and, uh, uh, what's it called. And, uh, you play like, uh, you also play like right now, uh, you currently are playing the main baddie, uh, stigma in the recent anime shy. Uh, yes, uh, and I know how much you want you to to to, to play uh, to play uh, like the, the, the like the man uh, man roles or man uh, good guys, but uh, but the bad guy. I was like, dang, that's freaking awesome. Is it rare for you to be give? I mean, I know it's rare for you to get like to be the antagonist of a series uh, itself, especially the main baddie. Did you have like more fun being the main uh, the bad guy in a role than being the good uh, the good the good guy, or are you having fun oh with being gosh. the bad guy? It's been so fun. And there, there's something so satisfying about playing the bad guy because as the actor, you can't judge the character even though you know it's the bad guy. But the bad guy doesn't think he's the bad guy. He's just doing what he thinks is right. But he's going about it in maybe some questionable ways that others don't agree with. So you have to find a way to bring humanity to a character that people really don't like. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's something I've gotten good at because something similar happened when I was cast as Bridget Page in Sugar Apple Fairy Tale. Sean Gann, my director, was like, I cast you in this role because I, she's no one likes her as a character, but I knew that you would bring humanity and truth to the role. And we want people to not like her, 
but we also want people to understand why it is that she's the way she is. And I was able to bring that to her. So it's really satisfying for me to play a bad guy, but to also bring the humanity to the bad guy and help people understand why their brain works the way it does and what it was about their past that like influenced them to become who they are. Um, Stigma and Shy has been fun though, because it's my first named young boy role. And he is another very stoic kind of monotone character. And that's what makes him scary because mm-hmm. you you can't predict what he's going to do next. Everything is so pleasant and like eerily calm. And you're like, is he planning world domination? Is he going to k- murder someone? Like, what is this guy's plan? And you never know. And so mm-hmm. it's just the unexpected, the unknown. You don't know what he's thinking, but it's probably not good. <laughs> I mean, like you're saying that like to, 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 add, to add humanity, uh, like stigma itself I've been watching Shy, and this boy is, I don't know, like, if, like, or, well, I guess we don't know how far it is, because they're only, I think they're only on episode nine or so, but, uh, like, but so far, Stigma just seems like he already had, he just wants to see the world burn, essentially, and by using, right. by using memory, and by using memories and stuff from, like, other, uh, from other people's dreams to do so, so, in itself, I don't know how you could see show show a person that has that kind of mentality to have some sort of like humanity in between in between all of that. Right? That sounds pretty difficult. Because to the to the outside eye, people are like, he's corrupting people and using their dreams against them. But in his mind, he's like, No, I'm freeing the emotions that they've kept locked inside their hearts after all this time, and now they can be free. And it's like, ooh, that's twisted. It sounds like a very manipulative way of saying, uh, in a way, saying, saying this is this is your true self, but uh, this is really your true self. But it's like it's okay. totally manipulative. <laughs> it's yeah, it's crazy. Oh man, uh, okay. And uh, uh, oh, I forgot to write it all out here, but I was going to say, is there a, uh, was there a line like in any kind of series or anything that you've done so far that you that you could say that was memorable that was like really crazy? or funny or something that you would never expect to have ever said to ever say like, this is like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why would you ever like, uh, like, uh, is there anything that's like out there uh, that was like that, that, that you've come across yet in your career like that? I feel like sometimes, so when it comes to, um, script adaptation, sometimes the, the writers for Crunchyroll are really clever and funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one script writer in particular, her name is Jessica Slides and she wrote, uh, scripts for Horimiya and for Horimiya Missing Pieces. And she now knows like what my line reads sound like. So now whenever she writes for a character in another show that she knows I'm voicing, she'll put in like little Easter eggs or like funny things. So I voice a character called June Sasada in Natsume's Book of Friends. Mm-hmm. And there I don't even remember what episode it was, but Jessica knows that I'm like a theater kid. She's come to see me in Shakespeare shows here locally. And she threw in, um, I think it was a Romeo and Juliet reference. And she was like, parting is such sweet sorrow. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, she really just put that out there. <laughs> so that was that was very funny to me that she um, thinks about who the actor is that's playing the character. And then, mm-hmm. like, slips in a little, like, nuggets. Inside and jokes. Funny things. <laughs> yeah. But that's then other good. script writers do hilarious stuff all the time and put in, like, for Walla, um, sometimes they'll write in example lines of things like people in the crowd would be saying people get very creative with that they sure Mm. do some of the example lines are really funny and i can't think of any off the top of my head but it could Mm. be like i don't know (laughs) it's 
you're like outside and it's just a group outside at stores and someone mm. could be like wow those shoes are sick or like oh man i lost my wallet and then some random person will be like um i don't even know but like the most random line you something could ever out there of. they'll be like it's like <laughs> it's like i love you yeah. they, 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 they reply oh it's a half past 12 or something like something that doesn't yeah, match yeah, yeah. Up. yeah that's yeah. pretty good that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty funny i didn't even know but like i didn't know you still you still do uh you still do uh local theater here in the uh, in the i do oh that's yeah cool. it's kind of few and far between because i just mm. i don't know there i did a bunch of um zoom plays uh mm. when covid first hit and it was it was just hard because it wasn't the same but we were still i you know i was memorizing a full two-act play and they would send me props through the mail and then we would have a green screen with a virtual background behind us to make it seem as like real a production as possible mm. and then we perform it for one night only for a crowd of 80 people online and you never heard applause or laughter and it was like this is kind of soul sucking yeah it so it kind of burned me out a little bit because it just mm. wasn't the same so um it made me be much more selective of like what i do choose to spend my time on um and I also really like value my my evenings and like my free time. So totally I'm very selective about what shows I do and when I do them. But yeah, <laughs> I, I do still do theater in the area. And honestly, if you look at my resume, most of it now is just Shakespeare, which is hilarious. I did not <laughs> set out with that being the intention, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you're in the position where you can pick and choose whatever you're wanting to do. So, so that if you, I mean, you're what, what's really cool is that you're doing what you love. So that's all that really matters. Uh, exactly. Uh, I'm just trying to tell so. stories in whatever genre or medium possible. Mm -hmm. That's that why is, I'm here. That is so great. It's so cool. Oh man, Marissa, thank you so much for geeking out, uh, uh, geeking out with me. It's awesome talking to you. It was also really cool meeting you at anime frontier and uh uh definitely hopefully we'll see you again in the future but uh, uh before before i let you go is there uh any like would you like to like what are, what are there any conventions or any places or uh that, that folks could could check you out or or maybe able to see you uh if you're going to a convention near them heck yeah um so i will say my social media handles i'll give you those in case you want to follow me online right. um twitter at marissa duran underscore instagram at marissa duran no underscore um and those are the two primary platforms that i use um and you'll see me post about upcoming conventions print sales yada yada puns whatever all the things um but upcoming actual conventions my first one of 2024 is going to be sac anime in january and that'll be sacramento california um i'm still waiting to see if anything else gets lined up but that's what i've got going for now and i'm sure more will be announced so yeah if you want to see me at your local convention be sure to uh, let the convention know. They might have a guest request form on their website. You could tweet at them on Twitter or X um, and let them know that you you want to see me as a guest and hopefully we can get the ball rolling because I want to meet more people in 2024. I really do. Yes. Yes. It's really cool. Yeah. You were definitely really, really cool. Yeah. Really cool to meet. It was, it was really fun, uh, fun meeting you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, uh, uh, definitely, if you like the interview uh, uh, I did with uh, Marissa Durant, you could also check this out, check it out on any podcast services out there or Go to our main website, confreaksandgeeks.com, to check out the full library of everything that we do each and every day. So, uh, but in the meantime, once again, this is Davis signing out. Y'all, take it easy.